the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Those who are spiritually qualified to handle church finances, number one, must be interested in your spiritual welfare. Two, be faithful to the gospel. Three, be motivated by spiritual concerns. And, and you'll figure that out when you're around people who handle it. You, you, it won't be long before you'll know where their hearts are at. Rule number one of church finances, I think, should be it's not a business, it's a ministry. Church leaders are called to minister to people. And while we do need to be responsible and accountable, we never want to lose sight of our calling to be servants and not tax collectors or misers. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Teaching the Bible a verse at a time, Pastor Steve has come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In this chapter and the next, the Apostle Paul has provided us with wonderful godly counsel when it comes to how, why, and where we give. He began by reminding the Corinthian believers that a collection had been going on for a year with the objective of helping out the poor and persecuted believers in Jerusalem. And he bragged on the churches of Macedonia for their great example of generosity. Paul had a couple reasons for this collection. One was the glory of God. The need in Jerusalem provided an opportunity for Christ followers to demonstrate one of God's attributes, generosity. Besides the obvious benefit of relieving needy people, outsiders would see the generosity of God reflected in the giving nature of his people. So before Pastor Steve gets back into the qualifications for those handling church finances, let's review Paul's second reason for initiating the collection for the saints in Jerusalem, which has to do with the unity God wants between Jewish and Gentile believers. Secondly, Paul had another motivation that drove him to this collection for the saints in Jerusalem. He mentions it at the end of verse 19. He says, and the last phrase, and to show our readiness. Now, what does he mean by that? Not only for the glory of God, but to show our readiness. In other words, this collection was done to show his goodwill. Paul didn't want to exalt himself, but there's something very important about this. Paul did want to communicate something very Clearly, And what, what was that? I, I really believe that you must turn to Galatians chapter 2 to understand this. It's just one book going towards the back of the New Testament. Galatians chapter 2. Now, the, the background of Galatians is that this church, these churches in the Galatian area, they had professed faith in Christ, but then some legalists came in and said, oh, no, 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 it's not enough that you Gentiles believe in Jesus now. You've got to believe in the law of Moses and practice it. And that would involve for the men's circumcision, for everybody, dietary laws, uh, the keeping of the Sabbath, all of that. And you know what? Paul fought that. All of his life, Paul fought that. In fact, we're still fighting that. We're still fighting that with legalists today under other headings. Paul absolutely stood firm on the gospel of the grace of God. And and in Galatians chapter 2, he speaks about that. Let me read it to you, and I'll comment as we go through this. Verse 1, 
Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So he's going to Jerusalem where this the mother church is, the, the originating church. He takes Barnabas, he takes Titus. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles. Now that's important. He said, I preach this among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He said, I went to the apostles and I had Titus with me and he was a, a Gentile and they didn't say he had to be circumcised. But it was because, I mean, why are you even doing this, Paul? It was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. There are certain men who came into their churches and were checking out Paul's teaching. And, and Paul said, they want to bring us back into legalism. God saved me out of Judaistic legalism. And now they want to put me back in that and everybody else. But, verse 5, we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. Paul said, I did not give in. This is a non-negotiable, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality, while those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. You know what he's saying? Even the most well-known apostles in Jerusalem, and he'll speak about James and John and Peter, had nothing over me. He said, I don't really care. I don't really care that they have a reputation because I'm not a junior apostle. I'm not a Johnny-come-lately. I'm not on the lower rung of apostles. I am equal with them. He said, God shows no partiality. He doesn't treat them any different than he treats me. And the revelation they got is no more God's word than what I received. Verse 7, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, meaning the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, and then he digresses here, clarifies, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked also in me to the Gentiles, meaning that God called Peter to work with the Jews, God called me to work with the Gentiles. And recognizing, here's the apostles, they recognize, recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, meaning Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. You know what he's saying? They agreed with us. They, they affirm that what I'm preaching is what they preach, the gospel of grace. You don't have to keep the law, but watch this. All of this to get to verse 10, which is what Corinthians is about. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, this is important. The, the apostles agreed with Paul that the message of salvation was based on God's grace alone and not works. But they said, Paul, do one thing for us. Remember the poor. Remember the poor. What do they mean by this is this. In the midst of ministering the gospel to the Gentiles, don't forget your poor Jewish brethren, specifically in Jerusalem. That's what they're saying. And why was this so important to them? Folks, this is what brings it all together. This is why Paul said, I was so willing, I was so ready. Well, I wanted to do this because they wanted to make sure that Paul, as the recognized spiritual leader of the Gentile Christians, didn't forget to promote unity in the church. The early church was in great danger of having a Jewish church over here and a Gentile church over here. 
And Paul went to great lengths to promote unity. The Gentiles were to give to the Jews. The Jews were to share their spiritual resources with the Gentiles. All unity. I mean, this is, this is still, quite frankly, still a problem today. This is one of the reasons why I personally am opposed to messianic synagogues. A messianic synagogue, for those of you who may not know, is a church. They call themselves a synagogue, a church made up of either uh, Jewish people who are usually believers in Christ or uh, Jewish wannabes. Uh, Gentiles who would like to have been born Jewish. Really, that's, that's who make up the majority of them. And, uh, they really put themselves under the law in many cases. And, and, and the problem is that there ought not to be a Jewish church. There are not, and there ought not to be a Gentile church. Once in a while, I read in, in literature, uh, Christian commentaries that say that, uh, Christ's bride is a Gentile bride. That's not true. It's not true. It's a, New man bride made up of Jew and Gentile. And so the apostles were very concerned that the, that, that Paul made sure that he promoted unity. He promoted unity. And I, and I think that's, that's still an issue today. In fact, I remember speaking to uh, my friend Marv Rosenthal. You may know Marv from being famous now at the Holy Land experience, but I, I years ago when I was wrestling with these issues about messianic synagogue. I said, Marv, here's, here's what they're saying. Here's what people in that court are saying that, that we have to be sensitive to the culture of Jewish people. And, and that's why we have to have a messianic synagogue. I'll never forget what Marv said to me. He said, Steve, what culture? They're Americans. They, they move in the culture. There's no subculture here. There's no language barrier. That's exactly right. So, Paul, they said, don't forget the poor in Jerusalem. There are not two churches with two types of people and two types of theological systems. And Paul said, I was willing. I'm ready to do that. I'm obedient to that. that that's what he's saying. Now, what's the principle here? When you are looking for a church or a ministry to support, make sure that those who handle the organization's funds are individuals with spiritual motives, spiritual thinking. The bottom line is not just paying bills. The bottom line to them is exalting and honoring the Lord. There are spiritual motivations. It's not a business to them, spiritual purposes. That's what Paul is, is saying. So those who are spiritually qualified to handle church finances, number one, must be interested in your spiritual welfare. Two, be faithful to the gospel. Three, be motivated by spiritual concerns. And, and you'll figure that out when you're around people who handle it. You, you, it won't be long before you'll know where their hearts are at. But the fourth spiritual qualification for those who handle church finances is this. They must be concerned about their reputation for integrity. They must have a concern for their own reputation for integrity. Notice verses 20 through 22. The apostle writes, taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. Now, let me bring this together. According to verse 20, Paul expected that this collection would amount to a huge amount of money. I don't know if you realize that, but he calls it this generous gift. You could translate it very easily, this lavish gift the specific Greek word that he uses literally means thick or bulky, full-grown, abundant. 
And in the context of money, which is what we're talking about here, he's speaking of an abundance of money, an abundance of money. Paul anticipated there'd be a lot of money collected by these uh, churches for Jerusalem. Now, you know that whenever large sums of money are given for charitable purposes, people tend naturally to be suspicious about the one heading up the collection. It's, it's human nature. That's what's going to happen. They're going to ask questions like, uh, such as, will he uh, use this, this money for himself? He's going to take a little bit for himself. Is he mishandling these funds? Is all the money going to the place we were told that it was going to? And questions like that. Therefore, people, because people tend to think like this, those who handle church finances and any ministry finances must take precautions so that nothing involving money will ever discredit their testimony and reputation for Christ. They have to do this. Even if they are not guilty of any financial wrongdoing, they must be absolutely meticulous and careful that they don't give an impression, even an impression, that they might be doing something wrong. I mean, think about this. You and I would have no problem in trusting all of our wealth to the Apostle Paul. You think Paul is going to take any money from us? But the Corinthians wondered about that. And this is why Paul, though honest, would never have taken anything. I mean, it's ludicrous to even think that Paul would do this. But Paul understood how people perceive others. And he therefore went to extreme measures to make sure that he didn't even give the appearance of mishandling this money for himself. Now, they they did accuse him of things, but they had no grounds to do that. He didn't have any appearance of, of mishandling the funds. This is why he personally distanced himself from this collection. How did he do that? Number one, he put Titus in charge of the whole project. Number two, he sent an authorized delegate from the Macedonian churches to accompany Titus. Number three, in 1 Corinthians 16, he said, I want everything collected before I get there. I don't want to even be there when you're collecting it. And number four, now in verse 22, he tells us about a second unnamed brother. We don't know who this is. One who he says was characterized by diligence and absolutely confident in the Corinthians to give. Paul apparently handpicked this man to accompany the other two men. So he's done a a lot to make sure that nobody could legitimately accuse him of even appearing to mishandle the funds. See, Paul was, was honest before the Lord. And you know what? We know he wouldn't have kept anything for himself, but he still established safeguards to make sure that people understood that he was a man of financial integrity. Verse 21 is perhaps the whole key to all of this. Look at this again. For Here's why he did this. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. That's a tremendous verse. And I'll tell you why this is so tremendous, because There are many today who would take just the opposite view of what Paul said. Many leaders, their attitude would be, I don't care what people think. The Lord knows my heart. The Lord knows that I'm not taking money. So why do I I care what people think? You know what? Paul did think that that was wrong. Paul did care what others thought about the way he handled finances because he didn't want to tarnish his reputation and testimony for Christ. Because let me tell you, once somebody suspects you, and, and they've lost confidence in you and the way you handle money, you've lost your, your ministry. Even if you're not guilty, if they think you're guilty, you've lost your ministry. You can't get that back. You can't get that back. It, it is absolutely imperative that a man of God takes safeguards so that nobody thinks 
anything other than absolute integrity with him. So if you're evaluating a church leader to see if he's handling the funds properly, make sure he has an attitude of financial accountability. How would you know that? What, what, what are the warning signs of somebody who doesn't have this? Well, they're very mysterious about the way they handle the money, very secretive. Nobody really knows what's going on in the church or the ministry because everything is vested in one man. He doesn't share information with others. Uh, he's very controlling. There are no financial records that you have uh, access to. He just assures you he knows what he's doing. You meet someone like that, don't give your money anymore to that place. Because somebody who uh, is doing nothing wrong says, my life is an open book, see whatever you want. Somebody who, who has something to hide, hides it. You can quote me on that profound statement. If you have something to hide, you hide it. So you want to keep that in mind. If, and I say this to those of you who are either church leaders or ministry leaders. I, I caution you to do everything in your power to make sure that no one has any ever any reason to doubt your integrity when it comes to money, even if it means going the extra mile to the point where you possibly will lose money on some, some situation to maintain your testimony is imperative. In fact, isn't that what Paul meant when he, when he was talking to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, and he said, you're, you're taking uh, others, taking believers to court. You shouldn't do that. To be judged in front of unbelievers is, is wrong. He said, it's better to be defrauded, better to be cheated, better to be to lose some money than lose your reputation and dishonor Christ. So I, I think if you're a ministry leader, take this to heart. Surround yourself with other godly men who you are accountable to when it comes to finances. That is exactly what Paul did. Verse 23, he tells us this, and we'll very quickly look at this. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. It's interesting that the way this reads in the original Greek language is that Paul seemed to anticipate that some folks at, at Corinth would be very skeptical about the three people that he was sending to them with, with sort of the attitude of, by what authority do they have to come and collect money from us? Who, who are they, Paul? Who are they really? And Paul's answer is, number one, Titus is a fellow partner. He is my partner in ministry. That's who Titus is. And number two, the other two are authorized delegates from the churches. They are official messengers of the churches, apostles of the churches. Both their lives and ministry bring glory to Christ. That's all you need to know. They're honorable men whose integrity should not be questioned. So if you're a leader in the church, if you're a leader in a ministry, make sure that you are accountable to others. And don't give your money to any organization that doesn't have that built-in accountability. Let's bow for prayer. Financial integrity is a crucial issue. It's, it's critical for you who invest in Christ's kingdom to know where you're investing, that, that the churches that you're investing in, the ministries, the organizations, that they're run by godly men. These are the guidelines to look for. Do they care about you? Do they have uh, do they have doctrinal purity? Can they can they give you a doctrinal statement? Do you know what they believe? Do they care what they believe? Do they have spiritual concerns, or is money the bottom line? Do they have spiritual interests? Are they interested in God's glory, spiritual reasons, and are they accountable 
to others? Do they, do they go to great lengths to make sure that there is integrity in the way they handle their finances? These are the things you need to concern yourself with. And if a place or an organization doesn't have this, then find some place, an organization that does have it and invest there. And if you're a leader in ministry, then take these things to heart. Make sure that the things that concern the Apostle Paul concern you. That we follow his example when it comes to to money matters. People look at religious leaders with suspicion when it comes to money. And they have, in one sense, every right to do that because there are a lot of, of crooks out there. So at Lakeside, those of you who are involved in any aspect of leadership and finances need to make sure that these are the truths we embrace and practice. And if you don't know Christ, I, I want to just urge you. We've been talking about money, but the real interest is your soul. Your soul. M- money is not the major concern here at all. What is a concern to us is if you don't know Christ, maybe you just are associated with Christians. Maybe you just like coming to church for some reason, but you've never actually committed your life to Christ. Know that he laid down his life for you. He is the shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. And I I urge you to come to Christ. He gave his life on the cross, dying in place of, of you for your sins. He was the one judged when you should have been, I should have been. And the way to come to him for forgiveness is simply to turn from your sin and to trust him as the only one who can forgive you and give you eternal life. If you'd like to speak to somebody about that, if God's working in your life to come to to trust him, then we'll have one of our elders will be up here at the front when we close the service. Father, I thank you for these verses, this passage of scripture that's, Lord, so so spiritually rich. And I, I do pray that you'll help us as a church body to follow what we've been preaching about, to practice what we preach, Lord. I thank you for the godly men that I have the privilege of working with at Lakeside who uh, do have accountability, who are concerned about the reputation of Christ. Father, I pray also as a church body, help us to be very discerning where we invest our money. Help us to be wise in these matters as your word tells us to. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It is so very important that the leaders in a church have standard practices that not only prevent them from engaging in any financial misbehaviors, but that those practices protect them from ever being accused of such a thing. And the same thing goes for any kind of sinful behavior. Ephesians 5.3 says, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. And that Greek word really does mean simply to give a name to something. So it goes beyond actually committing the act. Do not even engage in practices that can open you up to accusations. Don't drive the babysitter home alone, and don't let just one person count the offering, no matter how honest that person is. We're delighted that you were able to join us today for Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff wrapped up another message in this series about giving from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Lakeside's address, if you're in town and would like to visit, is 1893 Sunset Point Road. There's more information at the website, lakesidechapel.com. You can also call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. Perhaps you have questions about today's topic or about salvation. 
Or maybe you'd like to ask for a free CD with the entire message Pastor Steve just concluded. If that's the case, you'll want to ask for message 658, Giving with Integrity, Part 4. I'll give you the phone number again. It's 727-441-1714. The CD title is Message 658, Giving with Integrity, Part 4. Today's broadcast, by the way, is available for free if you'd like to download it or stream it at our website. Go to versebyverseradio.org and click on the Message Archive link. To find other programs in this series, use your web browser search feature, usually done by holding the control key on Windows or the command key on a Mac, and hitting the F key. Then search for the date you want. It's as simple as that. That's at versebyverseradio.org. Let me take a moment to remind our visually impaired listeners of a free offer for those who have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind. If you'd like a free audio Bible for your player, call 800 838-5924 or visit www.blindbibles.com that's 800-838-5924 or blindbibles.com I'm Jerry Peterson do you like to give? if so that's a good sign that Jesus is showing himself through you because it's in his nature to love giving and will be in ours too if we're becoming like him So far in this series from 2 Corinthians, Paul has shown us that we give because we're like Jesus and that we are to give with integrity. As we start to move into chapter 9 on the next verse by verse, Pastor Steve will explain that if we're like Jesus, we'll give because it blesses us to give. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.